Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast. Today, I have Megan Lohman, who's the co-founder and CEO of Plan Forward. Megan, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Why don't we start with a quick pitch for Plan Forward? Wonderful. So Plan Forward is a software platform that enables dentists to offer subscription plans to their uninsured patients. Uh, So to give you a little context, there's a huge population in the United States that does not have dental insurance. Those same people are also not buying traditional insurance. And for dentists, their reimbursement rates from insurance companies are declining and they continue to decline. So to try to solve this in a creative way, dentists have started offering these subscription plans to uninsured patients. And uh, now they need a management system to run those. So that's where Plan Forward comes in. Nice. So Plan Forward, do you also do like dental practice management or is it just the management of these membership systems? Just the management. Yeah. Of the, of the membership plan. Okay. Got it. Current status of the company, paint a picture for somebody who's listening. Are you still at like three employees, 50 employees, venture backed, number of dental offices on board, anything you can share to kind of paint a picture for where you're at? Yeah. So we launched our MVP last September with six beta practices and worked out the kinks, the bugs, and we had our soft sales launch in November of 2018. So we're not quite at a full year of of selling. So we have 18 customers across four states. We have about 25,000 in ARR. We have secured the endorsement from the Indiana Dental Association. We were vetted against our competitors for this. We came out on top for our membership plan administration. We're currently in our first round of fundraising, doing a friends and family and angel round. And once we close that, you know, we're excited to add to the team. Right now it is, you know, it's myself full time and my co-founder is plays an advisory role, but also, you know, obviously he's the dentist. And so he's involved in all the dental communities. And so he's our big referral source. We have an intern and then our developer also is is obviously operational. So yeah, we're excited to to add to that team. Awesome. Talk to me a little bit about competition in the space. How many people are there that are direct competitors to what you're doing? So that's a great question. Actually, when we first did the market research to put this business plan together and decide to launch it, there were only two competitors and two direct competitors. And they were both launched in 2013. Ironically, that was the same year that my co-founder and I started his subscription plan and his practice. So um, that timing is, is coincidental. But three software platforms all launched last year. Oh, wow. To, yeah. So they weren't on our radar when we put our business plan together to manage dental subscription plans. So, you know, it's exciting because it really does show us that this is a ready market and people are excited about finding creative ways to provide healthcare and to provide quality service to patients in an affordable way. But at the same time, you know, they're competitors. So, you know, we're demoing against them and we're having those conversations. So, you know, constantly looking for that differentiator. I was just going to ask when you go into a dental office to make the pitch, how often are you 
being stacked up against other people in the same space versus just educating them on, hey, this is how maybe this is something you should consider doing here. And this is how it works. And this is how our software enables that. If it's a referral, typically, I'm not demoing against competitors. But interestingly, in about the last six months, this is really our competitors, we all emerged in 2018. So we're all starting to get a little bit more traction and some brand awareness. So really in the last six months, it's like every time I talk with a practice, you know, they're like, oh, we've talked with, you know, three or four other companies. The other companies. So it's becoming pretty common that they're stacking us up against them. How do you think about differentiating your product? Every time it has has been a couple things. Customer service has has been number one, which I pride myself on. And and that's the way we're going to build the company to make sure that we do have great service, great customer service. Also, we have a higher touch implementation. So we help them, these are small businesses, and we help them through this couple week process of creating this plan if they don't have one. And also our pricing structure is tiered so that it's a lower price point when they ha- don't have a plan and it, in- it increases as they add patients to their membership plan. So that's also attractive to them. And the software platform is very simple. You have all different levels, skill levels in the front office, you know, that are entering patients into these systems and talking with patients. So it has to be really simple so that anybody can work within it. So when you think about growth over the next Let's go five years out because I'm sure growth over the next five years. Is, oh, you had to is, do five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> growth over the next five years is easy, right? Because you're just at land more dental right, offices. Right. Yeah. So what I'm trying to get to, and I don't, maybe you can tell me what this time frame is. It, when you look at the roadmap and you think, okay, here are the real inflection points for this business in terms of that could be in terms of how do we need to, you know, build out new significantly new features in the product to enable, you know, whether that's moving up market or what, you know, whatever the case may be, or even I can imagine there are other types of healthcare practices that could potentially benefit from the same thing. It doesn't just have to be dentists. So I'd love your thoughts on, you know, at the point where it's not just, you know, startup hustle, scale the business, acquire, you know, the, the, the core customer that you're trying to serve today. But when you reach that first inflection point, what do you think that looks like? I know there are other opportunities within dentistry and within the platform to really almost serve as a full financing platform. So one of the biggest issues with patients going to the dentist is cost. So a lot of practices offer in-house financing or they accept other types of financing plans. So there's been a lot of talk about even especially in ortho. Right now, our business plan doesn't, or our model doesn't really support ortho because that's just treatment. It's not recurring um, preventive care. So um, expanding in other areas and other, you know, features and platforms that can support anything around that financing piece within dental care. But then also there are so many other verticals that are, they're healthcare related, you know, so they're, they're parallel to dentistry where, you know, routine preventive care is recommended and highly encouraged. But a lot of people aren't going to, to do those things if they don't have some type of benefit plan to help either give them discounts or they're on a subscription plan to maintain that care. So whether it's veterinary, vision, chiropractic care, dermatology, you know, these are all very similar business models to dentistry. And it sort of becomes this 
stepchild almost from major medical, you know, so your medical care is one thing, but some of these other ancillary industries aren't always covered fully in those benefit plans. So the providers and the patients who find the need to create the subscription plan and can offer that to their patients, it benefits both of them perfectly. So we're, we're really excited to dive in and put some resources into research on, on what markets are viable. Talk to me a little bit about the process of as you built out the so if, if one of the strategic differentiators is customer service and you mentioned the kind of two week process that you might build build out with somebody and walk through, which is if that's secret sauce, you don't have to go into that. <laughs> yeah. But I would love to know how you figured that out. Like talk a little bit about that journey in terms of going through the beta clients and then bringing on the the eighteen practices that you have today. What was the, what was your process in figuring out, oh no, this is, if we're going to be successful, this is really what we need to be doing. And, and how did you come to that conclusion? I love that you asked this because it lends itself to the fact that I did this job. I have sat in their seat. My partner was my boss. You know, I mean, we literally did this. I know exactly what they're going through, the conversations they're having with their patients. And I know the obstacles that are holding them back from launching these plans and understanding how to do it well so that it's profitable. So A, I I know what they're going through, but we initially built our business to serve the customer profile that is my partner's office. So essentially, they've already launched a plan. They already have you know over 50 patients on it. And now they've figured out, wow, this is an administrative nightmare. We need a, plat- a software platform to manage it. But what's happened is we've become this resource for anyone and all these referral sources, these sales reps, these dental associations, these consultants. We're now their resource. Oh, you want to talk memberships? Call Megan. So now it's like we're we're actually really helping people from the ground up. So that process has evolved. Three of our beta clients, we did create the process from scratch. So we had six beta clients total. Three had existing plans. Three we created from scratch. So that process really started before we even launched our beta. So I helped with this pricing calculator. We do a fee analysis and then really kind of dig into some details of their services and their patient population and what things they they think are important. And then kind of go through a couple phone calls and we do a staff training and then we launch the plan. It's an interesting thing that I'm thinking about. So I just finished an interview with uh, Eric Baum, who's the managing partner at uh, Solidia Capital. His episode will air just before this one. And what's super interesting, and this is what's going through my mind as you're talking to Eric, basically, when he thinks about the, the early stage companies that they invest in, he has this really great model that he articulates for you know the the three types of companies that you can have in terms of what kind of market they're going after. And and the one that I'm kind of mapping you to based on that model is uh, the one that he talks about, which is, I can't remember what he calls it, but it's basically where your go-to-market strategy is to educate the market. So, uh, which is very much what you're doing, right? Like you're, be, you're the referral source, like, oh, you're thinking about doing this, talk to Megan. And th- w- what that does is that allows you to become the early authoritative expert form that relationship, walk them down the path that you've architected to do that. So as you think about scaling going forward, particularly if, you've, if you're bringing in you know, early stage capital to help you build the team around you, what is that for you up to do to, to become more authoritative? What do you think that looks like? 
I just had a call with a dentist who practiced for years and years and years in Southern California. And now he just moved to Alabama, a rural rural area in Alabama. And um, I'm sure that's just like California. Just like Southern <laughs> California. I mean, so many similarities. And he was educating me on the differences. And from that call, I basically was like, wow, we really need to understand each area before we try to market to them. Because in California, this membership thing, it's it's kind of the Wild West because there are there are no laws on the books around this, protecting providers or any language that gives any structure around these primary care, agree, direct primary care agreements. But they're doing it and the patients expect it. And so it is like, it's already being done in their own way. In Alabama, this is completely unheard of. It's a big need. Patients need it. There's uh, a huge demand for preventive dental care. And he was telling me, you have such an opportunity to be the person to create this. So a big part of our, our plan, you know, come October, which is when we hope to be able to start executing this plan after this fundraise is PR and education and marketing. Because once we start educating, not only through dental mediums, you know, dental industry channels, but also to the public. I mean, we're not going to be successful unless people know about these plans and know to ask about them or where to find them. That is a big, a big thing that we're, I'm learning as I go too, is that we have the opportunity to build what this looks like and, and how it should be done well so that it's benefiting both patients and providers, not just one. Nice. When you look at the technical roadmap for the product, what are some of the things that are coming up that have you excited about, particularly as you think about new capital, use of funds? What are some of the technical things that have you excited? I'm so excited to have a, a technical partner, you know, because I have been this product strategist and the architect and leading this whole charge literally based on no technical experience and just my own working experience. So now that I've sort of started to get plugged in with people who actually understand digital products and and leveraging them, I'm so excited to work with Innovate Map. You know, they're part of our plan at least, you know, in these first few months uh, in the winter to to be able to deliver a more seamless process for our customer. So really taking some of that off of our plate with education and having the product essentially educate our customers so they can just log into their account and the the product walks them through it without us having to tell them, you know, how to add a new member and how to change payment issues and things like that. So just making it more of a, a seamless product for the customer and allowing, you know, the patient to have some access to that as well. That's on the roadmap. And just having someone who understands from a technical perspective where we're going and to make sure that what's being built today supports that. So um, just excited to be able to get some technical expertise lined up <laughs> on our roster. Yeah. It's uh, e- even when you're surrounded by technical people, some- sometimes <laughs> it, it's nice to know that there's somebody who's dedicated to focusing on your problem and, and what growth looks like. I totally empathize with that. Yeah. You've been doing this for two years. Is that about right? Um, we launched our MVP a year ago. Right. But how long leading up to the MVP? Oh, yeah. 
A year before that. A year before that. Just like okay. market research. That's a good guess. All right. Great guess. Market so, research and you know, getting all the legal ducks in a row to form the business. What's the biggest thing you've learned through that process? Whew. Or a couple of things. You don't have to pick one, but nobody moves this if I don't move it. And that's the one thing that's been the biggest been the biggest source of stress, but also the biggest motivating factor for me. You know, it's really amazing to look back and think, you know, it, if those phone calls don't get made or those follow-up emails don't get sent or these meetings don't get scheduled or, you know, you network and you come up with new ideas and you create new relationships. The biggest thing I've learned is that don't put too much stock in any one meeting and don't write off another meeting. Because when you think something is really going to be this, this answer to your questions or your problems, it doesn't ever pan out. But then some of these just like chance encounters become, you know, what, what the answer should be. So it's just really been a process of paying attention and going with my gut, um, taking customer feedback and asking for things, which is, something new, you know, whether it's asking for the sale, asking for the referral, asking for capital, asking for advice. I mean, there's so much asking that goes on. And then also, you know, being a good customer, you know, make sure that I'm offering value whenever I can and that I'm being the customer that that I would like to have. So that's kind of a lot that I've learned, but... That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so a couple of things in there really res- resonate with me. One, that nothing gets done unless you move it forward. That's going to continue for a long time, just so you know that. <laughs> uh, two, the, the idea that there's like there's no meeting that's too small, right? Or introduction or handshake or, you know, whatever, right? Like everybody can play. A, turns out when you're a startup, everybody can play a massive role. Absolutely. Right? And not knowing where that is and having the humility to recognize that is phenomenal. And the last one, while you were talking about just not being afraid to ask for stuff. There's this great book I read years ago. It's not super applicable to entrepreneurs, but I reference it a ton in my life. It's called The Secrets of Consulting 2. Secrets of Consulting is also good, but Secrets of Consulting 2 has this thing called a consultant's toolkit. And it's just think these 12 items that you carry around with you to, to remind you of things that you should be doing, right? So they're kind of cheesy, but they also really are true. So one is like a yes, no medallion, right? So like that you're empowered to say no to things, which very few entrepreneurs say no to anything, right? which is hard. But uh, so it's like this physical reminder that you can say no to things. Another one is uh, a heart, which uh, you like, I actually carried around a a little glass heart for years to remind me to not be so angry and be a little bit more compassionate in my interactions with others. The one that you had me thinking of is there's this thing called the wishing wand, which very, very, very few people, consultants, entrepreneurs, employees, doesn't matter. Very few people are brave enough to ask for what they actually want, right? To like paint this picture for you. Well, you know, what would be perfect for me is I want this and this and this, and then just, Be comfortable with that. You're probably not going to get that, but that's okay. You're never going to get anywhere close to it if you don't ask for it. Right. So just being able to articulate, uh, there's an entrepreneur that I'm coaching right now who's going through a very difficult negotiation with a outsourced development partner and that has gone bad. The relationship has gone bad. And so she was asking me, you know, what, 
what's reasonable here, what, which is always interesting for me as an outsourced development partner, <laughs> uh, sometimes what my answers to that will be, uh, because I can see totally I've, I have experiences on both sides, right? So, the, you know, one of the, our last conversations was around, you know, the, the best thing you can do right now, because uh, they've had the first step of the critical conversation where she's expressed she's not happy, she's expressed the problems that she sees, They've heard that and accepted it and said, Hey, we're going to get back to you on what the right next steps are, which is great. That's a perfect response on their part. And so she's like, she calls me frantically after this meeting. She's like, what do I do now? And, uh, <laughs> and, and my answer was, well, you wait, just wait, let them give them time. Let them come back to you. Cause you probably brought up some points from a perspective that they haven't been considering. So they need time to process that. But the best, the single best thing you can do is now think about what do you want? They're going to come back to you with an answer. What you can't do is wait for them to come back to decide whether or not that's good enough, because that's in just basic anchoring and negotiation, right? Like if you wait for them to come back, then now suddenly your expectation for what's possible is going to be anchored on what they said. So my guidance was write down three scenarios. What is pull out your wishing wand? What is what you want to see happen? Like in your perfect world, what would you want that to look like? And I described the wishing wand to her. Then I want you to write down the next one I want you to write down is what's the least optimal solution that you will accept, right? So like that, if they said this, I would say, okay. And I would hate every minute, of it. <laughs> but there's no lawsuit. There's no, we're still probably working together. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's just like, I'm not happy, but it, we're moving forward. And then I said, then the real challenging one is going to be, what's the middle of those two? Like what, what, what would be between the thing that you really, really want and the thing that you would live with? What does that look like? And as soon as you do that, now when they come back to you with something, you now have these guideposts that you can start working off of to say, well, okay, this is better than my least optimal solution. It's not as good as my middle solution. Can I work them up to my middle solution? And I'll be kind of happy with that, right? Like, this is really close to my my dream solution. Maybe I should just say yes and be thrilled, like that they're really a good partner, right? Like, but you have no context for that if you're just waiting for them to come back. And it, so that, you know, the thing that the, the one that you really said there that really resonates with me is just not being afraid to ask for stuff and then really having a clear idea of of what is the thing that you want and being able to articulate that to somebody, I think is really important. Trying to figure that out, you know, when you haven't gone through the process, you know, what do I want? You know, what does the business want? Is sometimes the hardest part. You know, the thing that I have been blown away by in Indianapolis is people are so willing. I, I'm going to write a book, The Power of a Cup of Coffee, because I've literally wow. built an amazing business, got it off the ground, have great partners, you know, made great connections over a $2 cup of coffee. And I mean, it is, it's been incredible. Not lunch, not like a $20 lunch. It's a $2 cup of coffee. And people are just really willing to take an hour out of their morning to meet you for coffee. And so I've kind of learned, you know what? They want to help. So I'm going to tell them what I'm trying to do and ask for something, see how I can help them in return. But it is, it's amazing if, you, if you're able to figure out what it is you want and try to figure out who can help get you there. People are willing. So I hope I can pay that back somehow. <laughs> we have a great 
supportive culture here in Indianapolis Absolutely. that I think is not reflected. I mean, there. I think every market has um, people who play that role, but I, I feel like here it is very large. There's just this, I mean, this is a world, this tech startup space is just a world that I was completely unfamiliar with before two years ago. And um, there's just this energy that everybody wants everyone to succeed. doesn't matter if you're directly involved, but if I can make a connection or a referral or an introduction, it's just yeah. everybody wants everybody to do well. And it's pretty amazing. This episode is brought to you by Full Stack PEO. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need, not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies, not just those core services, but advice and expertise that help founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find out more at fullstackpeo.com. So you were doing this job two years ago and you decided to make the leap into building a tech company. Why? I actually spent a year at home. I had my second child. So I have two little kids also. Congrats. So I was, thank you. And starting a startup, you're crazy. Well, I'm well crazy. Done. I was literally training for the Chicago Marathon, wow. raising a, what was she? He, my son was three and my daughter was one. And I told my co-founder, I was like, okay, I have to run this race before I actually can start focusing on trying to dive into this software solution that you're wanting me to find. So I finished the marathon and like that Wednesday... I started these meetings and Oh, we're going to be friends. So it was, I was crazy. And I was, I went on no sleep for two years, you know, and, you know, thankfully I'm past that now, but I am typically the only mom of young kids in a room of startup founders. And there's a reason for that. And, you know, not to discredit dads or anyone else who has a family, but a mom of young kids trying to juggle everything that goes along with that, plus a startup and being available and being flexible and, you know, having no money (laughs) is, you know, putting all of that into the business. It has been an adventure. I don't even know where I was going with that, but uh, it's, it's, it's been an interesting, um, it's been an interesting go. Have you ever reflected on where that drive comes from? This is, uh, the, the, we're way off the rails. You don't have to answer I know. this. Well, I, I know where I took it off the rails is I was staying at home for a year when I started this. Yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't working and, you know, chose to leave the dental practice to do this, but I love working. So that's, that's why I made the leap. But anyway, um, what was your last question? Where does that drive come from? Because, you know, to, to cherry pick a couple of things here, not everybody starts a company. Not everyone runs a marathon. Not everyone, like, not everyone does that while they have small children. So, like, the, I'm just genuinely interested. Do you, do you have any idea where that, where that was developed, where that came from? You know, I've, I've always loved a challenge. It's always just driven me. Staying at home was by far, with my kids, was by far the hardest thing I've ever done. And like any stay-at-home mom will tell you, it is the least rewarding job. You know, nobody celebrates anything, you know, and at least now I get to celebrate if I get a win or a loss, you know, I don't know. That drive just, you know, I've always loved to challenge. My parents have amazing work ethics. I don't know, just the 
the taste of success, I think, when you get there and learning. I think I ran the marathon and trained for the marathon right before this for a reason. Like, I don't think that was coincidental. The training process for a marathon is the hardest thing. And as long as you follow your plan, even on those hard days, but you just go out, you put your shoes on and you run. And, you know, mine had to be before the sun came up because then my kids were awake and I was home with them. So they were early mornings. And it's just, you have to go through that training process. And then all of a sudden, when you get to the race, it's like the easiest race I ever ran. My last mile was a 724. And it was, I mean, it's just this energy. Pretty sure if I tried to run a 724 <laughs> for one mile, I would pass out. So well, it's just, you know, the experience of being well-trained and follow your plan, following your plan and just doing it, even if you don't want to on the days you don't want to, that like it put the ball on the tee perfectly for this experience. You know, not every day is, is super exciting, you know, and you're motivated to go out there and build this business, but you just have to put your shoes on and go through the motions. So I'm going to go full Tim Ferriss now and ask <laughs> about personal habits because now I like, yeah, this no, is amazing. <laughs> so talk about today. So like just daily habits and routines that you have today, particularly related to the business that um, you think are reflections of that, right? Like, I don't want to go out and run the five miles today, but I have to do it. Do you have any of those practices built out daily, weekly today that, that you do for the business? Yeah. So I really struggle with sales. It is not what motivates me. I would rather go pitch a venture capitalist than that make sales. a sales call. I know. Right? <laughs> so this... This, um, that's what everybody tells me, but the, the sales process, keeping that funnel built is the, the thing for me, that's the easiest thing to push aside. And I am the best in the morning. So I've learned that a, I can only schedule like two coffee meetings a week or else none of the sales gets done because it's easy for me to just continue to push that. So I have to start in the morning, get my coffee, check my email, and then go straight into HubSpot and look at my tasks, follow up on referrals and any, you know, anything that I need to follow up on and then do new outreach. And so that's the first thing I do in the morning before the day can take a hold of. But that's, it's still kind of a a learning process because I, I wear all the hats right now. But if I don't keep that pipeline full, which is the hardest thing for me to focus on. And honestly, once I talk to the clients, I'm great. But it's that process, the chase, that some people thrive on that. Yep. I don't. <laughs> I'm like, get me to the demo where I can actually talk and you know, we can I can talk your language. That's where that's where I'm better. But so that sales process has to be first for my day. And then trying not to check email too much and be too responsive on email because I've realized that that is an easy way to let your day get a hold of you. And then the afternoon is usually when I kind of need that second cup of coffee. And, uh, you know, I kind of start to get a little sluggish. So that's when I do a lot of more like business administration type stuff, current existing client uh, follow up or questions or anything like that. Two things occurred to me in there. One, it's still, I would assume, overall, if there's only a handful of competitors, it's still a really early market and very education focused. But at what point do you see the funnel flipping where more leads are coming in through marketing activities rather than outreach? I hope we can do that quickly. We did a Facebook Live event, my co-founder and I, and we've 
done very little strategic social media posting and and things like that. You know, Google ads, Facebook ads, we've done just very little and it has generated a significant amount of traffic. The Facebook Live event did? Yeah, the Facebook Live and even just Facebook ads, posts. So our number one thing is, you know, hire this implementation person and a marketing person and start that PR because I do believe that we will be able to generate a significant amount of inbound. So, you know, if we get more than we can handle, great. That would be a great problem to have. Hopefully, I'm telling you that's our issue in December, you know? Um, Turns out there's no such thing as more you can handle because then venture capitalists will gladly give you their money. Right. <laughs> then to you go just solve that problem. have to find people to help you. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then the second thing that you mentioned in there, which is much less important, is uh, is trying to not check email. Talk to me about that. What kind of habits do you have there that seem to work or not work? This is a new strategy because I just realized, wow, just responding to incoming emails, uh, you can take a whole day. Spend a whole day doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm trying to you know, check it at 8.30, 10, right before lunch, right after lunch, and then once in the middle of the afternoon. Wait, that was like five times. That's pretty much all day. Is that all day? Yeah. Okay. For me, that's not very much. (laughs) So check it and only respond to things that are pertinent right there. If I'm, you know, especially in the morning when I'm trying to do that sales stuff and then anything that can wait, you know, it's all the afternoon. Right now I'm kind of in a critical time where any sales inbound response, lead anything, I just have to be responsive. And also with fundraising, questions, you know, I I want to show that I am responsive. I want to be responsive. So I kind of have to be. But as soon as I have support, I feel like I'll be able to put up some more boundaries around responsiveness. Yeah. What do you do with the stuff you can't get to? Do it on the weekend. All right. Another thing that happened, I don't think was coincidence, is I had a girl's trip in Scottsdale the April before... the It was like April 12th through the 15th, right before we started... Like we started development. So I came back from that trip. It was literally like April 16th that I started my first day of work last year. And I sat on the plane next to this guy who had started a business 10 years before. And we just kind of started talking. And, you know, he he just... I never get to sit next to these people when I fly. (laughs) He poured all of his wisdom out. And I was... I didn't know at the time what a blessing that person was. I don't even know his name. And he said, you know, the first two years, you are going to feel like you're not getting anywhere, but just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I promise you will look back and you will see all this progress. And he's like, also, for those first two years, you're probably not going to have a lot of boundaries. So that's basically what I've given myself. I'm like, the guy on the plane said it. So if he told me this is what I need to do, then I'm going to do it. So, and it's, it's pretty much been true. I mean, there haven't been a lot of boundaries. I've done a lot, you know, on the weekends, evenings. I'm nine years in, there's still no boundaries. So that's not going to change. It's hard. It's a really hard thing. It's hard if you don't love it. Yeah. If you love it, it, it's okay. Yeah, that's true. With my little kids, you know, sometimes that pains me if they're doing something and I'm trying to get work done or, you know, so it's just, it's that balance. There have been uh, small children here at Developer Town doing yard work outside the yes. building. Yes, <laughs> because that has happened. The on boss week- says that work has to get done. That yeah. has happened on weekends. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's lots of lots of ways to blur the two. Exactly, I'm learning. Maybe refocus for the end. Mm-hmm. As you 
think about the market going forward, uh, in particular, those, those new competitors uh, that have emerged, particularly as you think of raising capital and continue to differentiate in that market, what do you think the strategy is going to be going forward? We have a proven market. There's no doubt in my mind that there is a market. And since we have competitors who are also newly emerged, it is an execution play at this point. There's nobody that's substantially differentiated within the product or the technology or really even the pricing. I mean, we're all fairly... The, the biggest difference is that service at this point. So what excites me the most about capital is being able to get people in there to fill the voids where I you know, don't have the experience marketing and the product. I mean, those are two big pieces, senior level roles that we plan to fill this year. So I'm just excited to get people on the team. I know that we have, you know, the industry experience, we have the market, we have the early success. Uh, We have some really big wins that if we can just plug in some more people who, you know, have all this expertise in these other areas, I don't see how we can't win. I mean, I really don't. (laughs) If somebody would like to get a hold of you to talk to you about investment, job opportunities, having you come to their practice and make the pitch, how do they do that? Yeah. Email me is obviously pretty quick. Loman M-L-O-H-M-A-N at planforward.io. Also, we're pretty active on LinkedIn and Facebook, and it's at Team Plan Forward. Or call me. 317-416-8548. So brave. (laughs) Maybe scratch that. (laughs) No way. That puts you in the like elite five people out of a hundred episodes that have given their phone number. But it's like on my website. I mean, it's kind of everywhere. I totally get it. (laughs) Megan, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been fun. If you're thinking of launching a SaaS product, startup competitors can provide data on your closest competitors, survey potential users, or provide other product validation services. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com.